Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Intel hit an important milestone in its bid to become a leading chip maker, and we break down the state of the semiconductor backlog. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With us to discuss the ins and outs of the chip business is our resident cutting-edge expert, Stephen Shanklin. Welcome, Shank. Thanks for having me. So let's get into the news of the day. What did Intel announce? So Intel announced a major partnership under which it's going to be manufacturing processors for a big Taiwanese chip design company called MediaTek. This is a very important part of Intel's transformation plans under its new chief executive, Pat Gelsinger. So here's a little backstory. About a decade ago, Intel's manufacturing kind of fell off the rails. They had been the world leader, you know, two or three year lead over everybody else, but they had this huge problem miniaturizing transistors and going to the next generation manufacturing. And they lost that lead. And so they brought Pat Gelsinger back to the company. He's an old chip engineer from uh, earlier uh, in the company's history. And one of his big parts of his recovery plan is to make chips for other companies, not just for Intel. And that's what's going on here. So MediaTek is a very uh, significant chip designer, and Intel is now going to be making some chips for it. Yeah, and talk a little bit about for our listeners who don't quite understand the intricacies of the chip world, like what, uh, how how different is this from what Intel has been doing over the last few years? Like, from building chips for itself to serving as a or what's known as a foundry, building chips for others. Like, how how is that? How does that sort of change the model for Intel's business? It's dramatically different. So obviously, a lot of people are familiar with Intel. They make PC processors. Pentium, Celeron, Xeon chips and servers, and a bunch of other processors. And so they've you know, been doing this for decades. So they're a you know, well-known consumer brand. Becoming a chip foundry means that they're just somebody who does some work that other companies, uh, to fill other companies' demands. So for example, if you look at Apple, they design their own chips, but then they partner with somebody else to actually do the manufacturing. So that's really important for a company like Apple or MediaTek, but the company that actually does the manufacturing, it doesn't get as much glamour. It's not as exciting. They're not a consumer brand. I mean, do you know who makes Apple processors? Hmm. Well, it turns out it's a Taiwanese company called TSMC. They are the leading chip manufacturer right now, but most people have never heard of them. So it's a very big difference in perception, but it's also a very big difference in how the business actually works at Intel. So they have for decades had their own tools to design chips, very tight integration between the chip designers and then the people who do the manufacturing. When you move to a foundry business, you have to deal with a whole bunch of issues like the customer is always right. You know, you have to be able to deliver on time. You have to be able to deal with whatever design tools they're using. And you have to open up in a way that is really unfamiliar to Intel. So that's the transition they're going to have to go through. They literally, for MediaTek, are partitioning off parts of their factory floors. They have separate isolated networks to keep 
the customer data completely separate from the Intel data. Intel data, because you have to realize here that Intel is a huge competitor with a lot, all the biggest possible customers it could have for this foundry business. Apple, right. Qualcomm, NVIDIA, AMD. So MediaTek is one of those competitors, and now it's on board. Yeah, and, and let's be clear, like the as you were explaining, companies like Apple, Qualcomm, NVIDIA are known as chip makers don't actually produce those chips themselves. They design them and then, like you said, work with a different partner like a TSMC, to actually make these chips. And, and and Intel is hoping to be one of these players. Talk a little bit about MediaTek, because I don't think this is a company that a lot of folks in the U.S. in particular have heard about. It's a big company, and you're right that it's not a well-known brand. So they supply a lot of the processors that power a lot of smartphones, mostly mid-range and lower-end smartphones. So they compete with Qualcomm and Apple, but Qualcomm and Apple play a lot more at the higher end of the of the market, you know, uh, top-end Samsung phones or Apple iPhones. MediaTek is farther downrange a little bit, but they are steadily improving and steadily uh, becoming more sophisticated. So their trajectory is generally pretty good. So that's their the, the, probably the most interesting business they're in. That's not actually the type of processors that Intel is going to be making for them, though. So this is for another business, their Internet of Things business. So these are all these gadgets that you might have in your home, like smart speakers or smart cameras or network routers, things like that. So that's another big business that MediaTek has. And that's where Intel is going to be making some chips initially. So this is a multi-year partnership. It could expand in any number of directions. But to start, they'll be making MediaTek Internet of Things processors. Okay. Well, the the timing for this deal is fortuitous because I know there is a proposed uh, bill uh, injecting from the US government injecting money into semiconductor manufacturing. Talk a bit about this this bill, this proposed um, spending plan and, and where it is right now. So that's an interesting development. Just last week, actually, that uh, the uh, Senate made some progress in funding that bill. It's called the CHIPS Act. And it would supply $52 billion for chip manufacturing in the United States. Obviously, that would help Intel out quite a lot. So if you want to make a new chip fab, that's a manufacturing facility, fabrication facility. They call them fabs Mm -hmm. in the industry. That costs about $10 billion these days. Huge amount of money. This bill would, if it becomes law, would knock about $3 billion off that price tag and make the U.S. a lot more competitive with Asia, specifically Taiwan, China, and North, uh, excuse me, South Korea, where Samsung is based. Uh, so this is a politically important bill. It's got some bipartisan support. Uh, they're, the military likes it a lot because they do not like the idea of being beholden to Taiwan or South Korea for chip manufacturing. And obviously, chips are going into everything these days, including military equipment. But also, there's a supply chain reason. So a lot of companies in the U.S. got bit really hard by the supply chain crisis that's been happening over the last two years. And so the political impetus for this CHIPS Act is to try to rehome a lot of chip manufacturing in the U.S. It used to be pretty big in the 1990s, 30%, excuse me, 37% of chips were built in the U.S. Now it's down to 12%. So Intel wants to increase that. Congress, to some degree, wants to increase it. But there's been a lot of political uh, maneuvering and that chip is that excuse me that chips act has been around for a year and it still has yet to become law despite support from the 
Biden administration? Yeah, th- that's a good question, though, because I, I, any chance that that bill actually falls through or just doesn't make it, uh, doesn't actually see the light of day? Yes, that's definitely possible. And that's kind of where it was stalled for a while. The problem was it was part of broader spending packages that the Republicans didn't like. Uh, so the new and improved version of it strips all, all that other stuff away. But there still are political uh, roadblocks to making that uh, into law. So it looks more optimistic now than it did two weeks ago, but it's still possible, but it might not happen. In which case, Intel says it'll still make investments in the U.S. They'll just come a lot more slowly. And that means mm-hmm. equivalent funding in Europe will become more important. And of course, Asia will still uh, be more competitive. They also have pretty substantial government subsidies. So basically, if it does fall through, it doesn't mean chip manufacturing will cease in the U.S. It just means that it won't get a huge shot in the arm. Okay. Okay. Well, and that said, like, uh, even if the, you know, the, this act goes through and, and Intel gets a lot of money, it's not like this is going to be a quick fix for the supply issues with chips, right? This is, this is sort of a multi-year thing. This is, this is more of a long-term game than, than anything that resolves the issues that we're seeing today, correct? That is exactly correct. So there are two factors here. The first is it takes a long time to build a chip fab, years. And so you know, any new funding that comes in you know, this year or next year, that's not going to be applied to a fab cost until you know, three years from now or something. So that does not immediately affect the supply chain problems we've been having. Another problem is that the supply chain problems have actually mostly affected older manufacturing processes that have been used for a lot of low budget processors. And not a whole lot of people are investing in that last generation, previous generation technology. Most of the chip investments naturally comes on the leading edge. So uh, that's another big issue. However, it it still does um, have a lot of effect because this supply chain shortage really revealed to a lot of companies just how reliant they were on fabs that were very, very far away. So there still is, uh, even if it's not going to fix this particular supply chain shortage, there this supply chain shortage really revealed this vulnerability that a lot of companies have to ship Ford F-150s or refrigerators or dishwashers or games, you know, game consoles. So uh, it's still part of a much broader movement to make the supply chain much more resilient. And and just generally, where, where are we when it when it comes to the the supply issue right now? And with some of these older chips, like have obviously demand for a lot of these products were sky high back during the pandemic. I mean, we're still in the pandemic, I guess, but obviously demand has cooled down a bit for some of these products. But but are things getting better? And is that supply chain evening out or getting a little bit more? Uh, manageable? It's definitely getting somewhat better, but the pessimistic uh, predictions I was running into a year or two ago are still in effect, really. People are still having troubles getting a lot of their processors. It's not as bad as it was, um, but it is still a problem overall. Now, in some specific markets like PCs, I think things are changing a lot more rapidly because the demand for laptops really kind of dropped off a cliff. So I think some of those situations, specific, you know, markets here or there will be will be different. The automotive industry still has a, a big problem because they simply just cannot get enough chips made with these old manufacturing processes. I went to an interesting conference uh, a week ago and an engineer, top engineer at 
Volkswagen was saying that this has really changed how they think about computer technology. Instead of relying on a lot of outside partners, they want to bring a lot more of their hardware, computer hardware and computer software work in-house. So they really see that, you know, they were they were caught out hanging in the breeze. They couldn't uh, deliver the cars they wanted to deliver. So they're uh, trying to take much more control over their own products. I think it's, you know, the beginning of a pretty big systemic shift trying to bring a lot more control of products in-house. And here's why this is interesting. If you look at a Porsche Taycan, the the new EV Porsche, there are 8,000 pieces of semiconductor in there. Those are, you know, wow. some of those are big processors. Some of those are a lot smaller things, little power electronics. But if, if, if any of those are missing, then they can't ship it. And so they, it's absolutely an acute problem for car makers as they get more digital. Definitely. I mean, that's, uh, I would say it's probably a problem for a lot of different industries who are increasingly relying on chips. Shank, thank you for your time. You can check out his story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, ping me on Twitter at Roger W. Chang. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.